This program brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com is suitable for mature audiences only and may contain explicit sexual information. This interview was recorded at the One Taste Center in San Francisco on June 17, 2008. Welcome to A Taste of Sex, guest speaker interviews, coming to you from the One Taste Urban Retreat Center in San Francisco. For those of you new to the show, One Taste is an organization committed to developing awareness in all of those areas of our being where we've shut down. We offer workshops and practices designed to bring more connection to your life. And every Tuesday night, we bring in a guest educator to share their perspectives in a fun and interactive way. You can join us live at 1074 Folsom Street in the South of Market neighborhood of San Francisco. You are listening to A Taste of Sex. My name is Shane Metcalf. Welcome. Tonight with me here is Veronica Monet. Veronica, say hello. Uh, hello. <laughs> Veronica is a published author. She is a sex educator. And in my opinion, one of the at, the at the forefront of an emerging movement that looks at the link between environmental concerns and sexual fulfillment. Veronica, would you tell us a little bit about the work that you've done? Well, I, you know, the work that I do is really about paradigms, so it's not like I'm a researcher who's got some great statistics that I can throw out there. And um, frankly, when I'm when I'm like birthing a paradigm, I'm not. I haven't written the book either, so it's not so much the work that I've done as just the connections that I've made, and which I am very very passionate about sharing. So can you tell us what paradigm are you are you giving birth to a paradigm now? I am. I what am. Is you that? Know, it, it really started around these bonobos. I, I found out about these these apes that were related to and was fascinated with the fact that they look like chimpanzees but there was these completely different lifestyles chimpanzees have infanticide rape murder and war four of the big forms of violence coincidentally human beings have infanticide rape murder and war and it's pretty much been with both species since we have recorded history so we've kind of had a fatalistic attitude, which is that it's probably genetically predisposed and there's nothing we can do about it. And the best we can hope for culturally is to just to try to contain or control these horrible urges that we have. Um, then we discover the bonobos, and it turns out they share the exact same amount of DNA with us as the chimpanzee does and they have no violence. Now the worst thing that'll happen to you, it's not like they don't argue, they do. They have competition for uh, resources and for power grabs and all kinds of stuff, but for some reason, it never goes past something like maybe chewing somebody's finger off. Now that does sound horrible. I don't want anybody to chew my finger off, and I'm sure you don't either. However, when you put that up I against- I don't mind nibbles on my finger though. <laughs> yeah, but chewing it off, probably not. But when you put that up against the idea of killing babies, raping the females, um, declaring four-year wars, which both chimpanzees and humans seem to have a penchant for these four-year wars. don't know why. World War II and World War I went for about four years. 
Jane Goodall documented the chimpanzees that she was living with doing a four-year war, and it shocked her. But it wasn't just that they had a war. It was the horrible, horrific things that they did, genital mutilation. I mean, does that sound kind of familiar? Yeah, are you, which species are you talking about? Does it matter? They're both, they're, they're both doing it. And that's, that's the whole thing. Chimpanzees and humans have this horrific, horrific pattern of violence. And the bonobo doesn't. Well, it turns out the bonobo is really sex positive, and it's uh, what I call matrifocal. Some scientists make what I believe is a mistake calling it matriarchal because matriarchy would be basically just a substitution for patriarchy. Instead of a penis, you'd have a vagina who would be reigning terror on the planet <laughs> but when you have focal you know it's like it's centric it's 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 um much more about sharing power and um it's not about having power over so the bonobo has more like che- the kinds of checks and balances the iroquois indian had and the iroquois indian were some of the first to really establish democracy one of the largest inspirations to our constitution they absolutely were yeah, the whole idea that we have a House and a Senate and a Vice President and a President and a Supreme Court, that all came from the Iroquois. And they didn't, weren't calling it that, but that was exactly what they did. What they had was they had a chief and they had the grandmother. So the chief was kind of like our president making decisions, and the grandmother would come along like Congress and say no. <laughs> Maybe she, we need more grandmothers in Congress. That's what the bonobos have. They have a organization based on grandmothers. The oldest females are in charge of the government, if you will. And they're not in charge of it in the way of, of having power over their subjects. So this isn't about a matriarchy. It's about putting a check on male violence. So, so the, chimpan- or the chimpanzees have patriarchy, so the males are in charge. And they trade uh, sex for political favors. Now, how do you trade sex for political favors? The chimpanzees are not doing bisexual behavior. They're trading their female sl- sex slaves for uh, as, as a reward, you know. And, and usually they're plotting to murder the guy that's in charge. They'll get a couple of guys to help them do it. And notice I use these pronouns you're not supposed to use when you talk about animals. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm like, are we, want, are we Are you describing an episode of Rome? <laughs> I know, I know. I'm gonna borrow a term from Franz De Waal. He's a leading primatologist. He coined this worm called anthropodenial. So we have something called anthropomorphizing, and it's become like the huge taboo in the science community. When you're studying animals, you should never attribute any kind of human characteristics to them. And uh, Franz de Waal comes along and he says, if I see two chimpanzees negotiating a political deal and, and willing and dealing payoffs in the form of sexual favors with their females that they're going to get power over, why wouldn't I call that politics? Looks like politics. So anyway, long story short, the chimpanzees look an awful lot like humans as far as their behavior goes. The bonobos look more like some of the, the cultures that we have eliminated on this planet. So indigenous cultures and some of the goddess cultures that a lot of people have even argued, did they ever exist? Now that we've discovered the fact that right now in the year 2008, we've got this species living on planet Earth that embodies everything we ever thought the goddess cultures might have been about, it becomes 
more possible, you know, more of a reality to envision that humans could possibly live this way and may have in some distant past. The question that I come up with now is just how viable is it in the face of violent cultures? Because the, the bonobos themselves, there's only about 10,000 of them, and they all live in the DRC, which is the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And the chimpanzees, there's more of them, which if you're a scientist, you probably would say it might be that violence seems to um, have more evolutionary uh, advantages. And you might say the same thing about the goddess cultures and the indigenous cultures that we have obliterated. However, well, not completely. Yeah. There's still there are luckily, luckily we haven't completely there's, exterminated. There's the there's the Muswa in China. Uh, that's a little more like a matriarchy, actually, where the women actually are in charge of the property and the finances, and the men have no role at all except to fertilize the eggs and leave. Unless you're somebody's brother, if you're the brother, then you have quite a bit of, of sway. So anyway, this is I started looking at this and thinking, wow, this is you know really interesting. And how come how come people aren't going that extra step and saying we might want to emulate this sex positive, um, woman centric or female centric behavior if it leads to almost an obliteration of violence, why wouldn't we at least want to have the conversation? And this this is why I say I work with paradigms, is because I realize that when people are completely enmeshed in whatever paradigm they currently inhabit, it's very difficult for them to think outside the box. So most people are like saying, well, it's really nice that they have so much sex and that they're not violent, but of course we could never do that. And, I, and of course my question is, why, why not? not? Why couldn't we do that? Um, now, Veronica, uh, when I... When I read the title of the the, the how, topic of the lecture that you're going to be giving at yes, One Taste which tonight. which is how, how, how fear of sex is destroying our planet. And when I read that, I, my whole body got chills. Awesome. And you know, we're, we're in the 21st century. We have some incredible challenges facing us as a race. We have a skyrocketing population. Uh, I think I just, I just read that we just hit 6.7 billion we have global weirding. We don't know what's happening with the climate. There's a lot yeah. of guesses. Yeah. We have, we're in the middle of a mass extinction. We yeah. have ocean fisheries depleting. We have desertification, deforestation, yes. war, terror, some, some pretty big challenges. We do. We do. I mean, a lot of people are wondering if, if the humans are even going to survive. And, um, you know. So, so how, how do you link the fear of sex to that. these problems. Well, the population, the human population has doubled since I was born. I was born in the year 1960. There are twice as many people today as there were in 1960. And that's frightening. That's frightening. I, I live up in the woods, man. I'm trying to... <laughs> I'm like, well, thank you for coming and, to the city. And I'm like, I can't, I can't believe everybody's got to live all crammed in with each other. And I mean, it's, it's you know, I can't worry about losing the option to even live in a remote place. Um... Why are there people on the planet? Well, that's really simple biology. It's called sex. People have sex. They make babies. 
Okay. One of the fa- my favorite sayings of One Taste is that we have you know 6.7 billion people on the planet. All of us were created by an orgasm, and nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about no, it. No, don't mention no. the O word. No, and, and, but, but orgasms don't have to be about penis-vagina sex. And this is the thing. We can't have an intelligent conversation about all the other sexual alternatives. Of course everybody wants to have orgasms. And of course everybody wants to be fulfilled in a sexual way. But what if... We could have a conversation about Tantra. What if we could have a conversation about masturbation? What if we could have a conversation about sacred sex? Once you really delve into sex, you know, like you and I have, where it's like a full-time preoccupation, you realize that it's a huge topic. And we don't do it justice when we just limit it to penises and vaginas. We just don't. But since that's what most people know, um, and then you've got this this um, command in the pages of the Bible, which, you know, a lot of people don't rule, you know, run their life according to the Bible, but a lot of people do. A lot of people do. And the Bible says, go forth and multiply. So, and then you've got churches like the Catholic Church who are going out of their way to say you can't use a condom and birth control is a sin. Okay, we get to this point where people are not allowed to do non-procreative sex, they're only allowed to engage in procreative sex. You know, the Surgeon General um, got fired from her job because she mentioned masturbation would be a good thing to teach kids. The reason she was saying masturbation would be a good thing to teach them is because they wouldn't get sexually transmitted diseases. They'd learn about their bodies. They'd be able to embrace pleasure. Completely in line with abstinence. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's helpful, but it's not really in line with abstinence because abstinence is all about not having pleasure. We go back to these old religious Victorian principles, and they're really about no pleasure. People need and want pleasure, but we haven't been able to have any really intelligent conversations about ways to do that without bringing more people on this planet or subjecting yourself to sexually transmitted infections. Now, AIDS, we can't have an intelligent conversation about that, for one thing, the U.S. government's got PEPFAR. This is the prostitution um, initiative. They want you to sign in blood, practically, that if you're going to take federal funding, you don't um, have you don't promote prostitution. What this happens to do is put a lot of fear in people that they can't even talk about condoms. Why? Because a lot of law enforcement uses condoms on a female. If a, a woman is in possession of a condom, they use it as proof of prostitution. So how backward is that? So people who want to have sex, want to have pleasure, want to protect themselves with condoms, um, get thrown in the camp of you know committing uh, an illegal crime of prostitution, and, and then people can't talk about condoms because that would mean they were furthering prostitution. And then the U.S. government, which you know gives a lot of money away, uh, has made it so that you have to sign this document saying that you don't further prostitution, which, again, the net result is we can't have a conversation about pleasure or prevention. So pleasure and prevention are off the table. What's on the table is abstinence, like you mentioned, which is ridiculous. Do you know that just this year we discovered that people start masturbating before they're born? And we're not, I had no idea. We're not, so that's what I was doing in my mom's womb. <laughs> yeah. We're not just talking about little boy fetuses grabbing their penis because it happens to be handy. We're talking about females, little baby girls before they're born, putting their hands between their legs 
finding their clitoris and achieving an orgasm in the womb. Fascinating. Well, it's not only fascinating, it's revolutionary information. Because, you know, if you've thought you're going to be able to teach your kids to not masturbate because it's a sin, it's too late. They did it before they ever had their first breath of air. So there must be something really wrong about morals and values and cultural standards that try to teach us to abandon the very fabric of our nature, our essence, I is this, to have pleasure. I think this is indicative of what an extraordinary time we do live in because we have these unprecedented challenges and problems, and yet we're also discovering this kind of information. And one of the questions that I have and that I'm constantly fascinated by is how do we how do we have an integrated sexuality so that we understand our nature as sexual beings and how do we integrate that with the rest of our our work, our play, our activism, our morality? How do we how do we use our nature as sexual beings to create the kind of world that we want? My answer to that is that we've got to expand our definition of sex. We really do. We need to realize that sex is like living at our core. I mean, if you if you're into tantra, then then you envision as being kundalini energy, which lives at the base of your spine. And if you're doing, um, you know, yoga exercises and meditation exercises, your objective is not to achieve an orgasm, but rather to take that kundalini energy and push it up through your chakras up out the top of your head, and uh, achieve enlightenment. Um, there's amazing things that happen if you learn other ways to relate sexually. I did um, um, had an amazing sexual encounter about a year ago with um, a friend of mine, and we took three days of making love. Now, we didn't make love for three solid days, but we made love for several hours three days in a row, and we didn't achieve um, you know, full penetration until the third day. Now, we were doing a lot of eye gazing. We were circulating breath where we were breathing each other's breath. You know, he would breathe out, I would breathe in, and I would breathe out, he would breathe in. So we're circulating our breath. We're looking into each other's eyes. Uh, you know, by th day three, we're feeling like one person. We've lost our, our boundaries in that moment. And I never achieved an orgasm. I Instead, I had an amazing spiritual experience, which lasted for an entire month. So for 30 days, I'm having these involuntary uh, pelvic contractions, and I don't know what it's about. And I go on the Internet, and I look it up, and I find out that it's called a creus, K-R-I-Y-A-S, creus. Well, this is related to things like shakers, Quakers, not just yogis, but, but, but religious people who go to church to have an, what they consider a spiritually... Um, blissful experience but it's actually sex orgasm in the church it is it is and, and and if we weren't afraid of this word if we weren't afraid of really seeing where sex lives we'd realize that you know f for the artist who doesn't have s penis vagina interaction may not be having sex with other people but takes all that sexual energy and throws it into their art that this is where our great works of art, whether it's a bridge, a building, a book, a painting, this all comes from sexual energy. Anything creative is sexual, in my opinion. And, and that's where we, we need to realize that sex is at our core. It's where our empowerment comes from. You know, in nature, if 
you sexually mature, you are now an adult. In the United States of America, you're never allowed to sexually mature because you may have a Bill of Rights that says you've got freedom to assemble, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, but you do not have freedom of sex of any kind. The government can absolutely take your right to have sex away anytime it wants. It is not in any of the amendments. It's not in the Constitution. It exists nowhere. So the only reason you're allowed to have sex is because the government hasn't decided to pass a law against it. But if it wants to pass a law against it, it can, and it will. Now, what I find very interesting, too, is why governments and religions are so interested in controlling sexuality. See, because I believe that your sexuality is not only your creative core, but I think it's where your empowerment lives. And without your sexuality, you're not fully empowered. And that's advantageous to people who like to have power over others. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you see that we are in the middle of a, of a new sexual revolution? Not yet. What would that look like? Um, we would need <laughs> for people to actually start seeing how little sex exists in the culture right now. See, there's, there's well, that's bit. ironic that you say that because we flaunt it so much so they in say. all of our commercials. So they say. And but I'm here to tell you, as somebody who has created porn and, and produced porn and starred in porn and, and worked as an escort and, and done phone sex and all that stuff, it, I, I don't see a lot of sex in the culture. I see a lot of anger and a lot of insult and a lot of violence. So um, I see people taking nudity and calling that sex. I see people taking uh, competition for, you know, one's ego. Like, you know, okay, I want to be better than you or um, prettier than you, sexier than you, hotter than you, and those sort of type of things. And calling that sex, um, using a body part to sell a piece of merchandise, I don't consider sexual in any way, shape, or form. I don't. I think the overarching emotion that is aroused in, by our popular media is fear and insecurity. And the last time I had sex, fear and insecurity were no part of it. Listen to A Taste of Sex, erotic poetry reading, a companion program to life in an orgasm-based community. It's open mic night at One Taste San Francisco, a weekly audio program on personallifemedia.com. So for our listeners out there, What's a way that they can immediately, starting now, bring more sex into their life, more of what you are calling sex of this kind of vital, creative life force? You know, I, when I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, I ask them to start with masturbation rituals because that, that really takes us back to where we started, which was in the womb. This is where your sexuality gets started, was in the womb, before anybody ever had a chance to tell you that you were a boy or you were a girl or that uh, you should stop t putting your hand down there. Um, <laughs> so if you go back to that, that's, I believe, a good place to start because you start changing and shifting your relationship with your own body. And you get to come face-to-face -face with your own shame. 
So um, for myself, some of the ritual that I like to do, um, I like to meditate for a half an hour before I masturbate um, so that I have really opened up my chakras and, and done a lot of conscious breathing and become much more embodied. Now, and this really flies in the face of a lot of what we've been taught about spirituality. Spirituality was supposed to be like out of our body. But what's interesting to me is that by becoming into your body, and, and and experiencing sexual uh, ecstasy, you can be transported into a spiritual place that then takes you out of your body. So I think that's one of the paradigms that you're really you know, cracking open is that the, yeah. that sexuality and spirituality are actually they coincide, they fit, they work together and are complementary. I'm going to go so far as to say that you can't really have a spiritual experience unless you have paired it with your sexuality. I think sexuality is really the only true door to spirituality. Well, it's funny because we, there's a lot of people who do a lot of meditation. They do a lot of spiritual work, but they kind of leave the sexuality as the last door to open. True. As this, and it, it, it's definitely, in my experience, it's a Pandora's box of sorts because there's so much that we've put in there, so many, yeah. so many feelings that we never allowed ourselves to feel, and we've crammed them in, in there. And then so as we start to open up our sex, some some wild things can happen and it's not always comfortable emotions that we feel in our body no well and any growth any growth experiences can be challenging and it can be scary the first time i had a fire breath orgasm um that sounds yeah delicious it's it's tantra and i was taking this class from this wonderful tantrican named joala and I was there thinking, this is ridiculous. I don't believe a word of this. And these women were all having orgasms around me, and I thought they were hysterical. And I thought, this is, yeah, this is like a contact high or something, and I'm far too intelligent to have this. So I was, like, trying to figure out where I'd laid my purse, and I was going to get it and go. And about the time I was getting ready to bolt out of this room, I felt a bolt of fire, lightning is what it felt like, start at the base of my spine and shoot out the top of my head. Now, it never once, I was not touching my genitals, I was fully clothed. The only thing that was going on with my genitals was that I was contracting my PC muscles, where your pubic coccygea muscles, which is in the pelvic floor, it's the same muscle you use to stop and start a, yo a flow of urine. And coincidentally, it's the muscle the dog uses to wag its tail. So that was the only way that I was activating anything genitally. Everything else was just about uh, doing conscious breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth. And, and then we were tilting our pelvises so that we were creating openness and blood flow down there. And our hands were on the floor. Nobody was touching their genitals at all. When I had this experience, it did not originate in the genitals. It didn't wind up in the genitals. I didn't feel any genital pleasure whatsoever. And it was still very definitely an orgasm. But it was so spiritually centric. It was so mind expanding. I felt like I was shot up into the sky, kissed the face of God. And it terrified me. It terrified me so much that I wouldn't do it again for a long time. <laughs> it's like, no thank what you. What was that? No thank you. I'd rather masturbate to porn or something, you know. And, and what I, a lot of times we're more comfortable with the shameful, dark, desperate, I, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. We've actually learned to turn our sexuality on with thoughts that this is shameful or dirty. It takes a whole reorientation to move into a spiritual sexuality. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but I am saying one's more expansive 
than the other. And if you can move away from things that say sex is shameful, dark, and dirty, um, and if that's your turn on, if you can you know, teach yourself to move away from that and move into sex is expansive and creative and life-affirming and empowering, that it, it really can take on almost a magical perspective. Um, and I do think sex has a, a lot of magic. I, I practice affirmations and creative visualization at the moment of orgasm. I'll be thinking about things I want to create, like go save the bonobos. And, <laughs> you know, so in my mind, I'm flying over the Congo, getting to, re you know, ready to meet my first bonobo and, and we're going to save them. And I have an orgasm in that moment because I want to attract those things to me. This is the, perhaps the, the most confusing thing about re activating your spiritual sexual self is that you become very energetically focused and you walk into rooms um, you walk through the forest and you feel things you feel how much of you and the rest of creation is energy and it's really difficult to be shut down and taking for granted the impact that you're having on the environment when you absolutely know that everything around you is just as alive and just as feeling as you are Thanks for listening to A Taste of Sex. This show is produced by One Taste. Check out our other podcasts on personallifemedia.com. If you have any questions or comments about the show, we'd love to hear from you. Please post to our online chat board at onetaste.us. You'll find calendars for our San Francisco and New York centers both online. Check out some of our upcoming workshops and classes. Thanks so much. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.